0: Chapter eleven of The Bridge of History Over the Gulf of Time by Thomas Cooper This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven The Arch of King Alfred What shall we call the ninth century? Is this arch as dark as the central one? No, thank God, there is a beam of blessed light on this arch. Let us call it the Arch of King Alfred. Alfred, the father of our Saxon liberty, as we call him, the king who said, I would that every English man should be as free as the air we breathe. If he did not say it, for some say he did not, we like to believe that he said it. We love this English freedom. We love to think how Alfred smiled on young freedom in his cradle when it was born here and tended by its rude but fond nurses, our old Saxon forefathers. It had rough usage many a time after Alfred's death. Sometimes one royal tyrant tried to stab it in the back, and sometimes another strove to plant the dagger in its loins, but none could give it the fatal blow. Yet it was often down on one knee, and sometimes down on both, and more than once it was prostrate. It must have had a good constitution, for it always contrived to get up and stand well on its legs again. And in its manly youth Hampton took it by the right hand and led it into the triumphant battlefield and Milton sang inspiring and exultant songs in its ear, and now it has risen up to stalwart manhood, for there is no freedom like ours in the world. What? Not American freedom? No, not American freedom. Thank God the poor Negroes are no longer slaves by law, but do white men really treat them as equals? Give them time, some of you cry out. Well, I am willing to give white men time to lose their dislike to blacks, for I am sure they'll need it. "'would give me English freedom above all the freedoms in the world. "'I wish the poor French could get freedom and keep it, "'but although their statesmen utter so many high-sounding words "'about men's equality, there never arises a William Gladstone among them "'to say, when pleading for the franchise for working men, "'are they not our own flesh and blood? "'I know the Tories sneered and jeered at those words, "'but they were words that cost my heart, "'the heart of the old cherished prisoner, to cleave to that man.' they were such words as no prime minister had ever uttered in england before but words that proclaimed the time had come when all should understand what noble equality there is in our british freedom let us cling to it fellow countrymen let us be jealous over it and proud of it but above all let us be thankful for it thankful that god strengthened the hearts of our forefathers who went to the stake and the block and to prison for it and wrestled and struggled for it and built it up so strongly that we do not fear its fall but what about alfred the happy reply is that he was a christian king and a pious sovereign after that hard struggle with the danes and he was hoping at length that peace would fill his realm the news came that another flight of the ravens as they called the danes was expected to arrive soon then let us said alfred to his ministers have god's book translated into the people's own tongue so that if these pagans land in greater numbers and burn all our books as they had already burned so many the people may have the book by heart and then if the danes burn all the books they cannot burn the truth and alfred's own biographer assures us that the king translated half the book of psalms into saxon with his own royal hand that was alfred's contribution toward a translation for his people to read my friends you cannot help feeling with myself that as our enquiry proceeds the interest increases It is important for you and me to know for ourselves that our religion is true but our religion is the religion of alfred it is the religion of wycliffe and latimer and lord bacon and john milton and oliver cromwell and sir isaac newton it is the religion of these and others the most illustrious men of our english lineage where did it come from we ask again this religion of alfred he believed and his anglo-saxon people believed that jesus of nazareth had really existed on this earth had been baptized of john in the jordan had chosen his twelve apostles and preached his great doctrines had wrought his mighty miracles had been crucified and had risen from the dead how came alfred and his people and so many millions of the people of europe to be believing all this in the ninth century was not the human life of jesus of fact and is not our common history of him a series of facts Or is the whole story of him only the old fable of the sun refashioned? Let us step on to the arch of the bridge of history before the arch of Alfred and see if we find Christianity there. End of chapter 11.